0: Thank you, praise team, for leading us in our singing this morning. Uh, Isn't that a great truth, that broken and weary souls find rest through the mercy tree, through our great Savior? Please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter two. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 965. 965, and their pew Bibles are there. If you don't have a Bible, if you're visiting this morning, you don't even have a Bible, I want you to feel free to take that Bible with you. It's yours. First, just wanna say we had a great weekend with our marriage conference, Friday night and Saturday morning. So grateful for Robert and Karen here in the second row uh, leading our church. Uh, We also had some people from just the community as part of the marriage conference as well. What what a great encouragement your ministry was to, to us and to our church and to those who were taking part. So thank you so much for being here with us this morning. The story is told of Billy Graham, uh, elderly, returning from a speaking engagement, flying back to Charlotte, North Carolina. And When he got out of the plane, there was a limo there ready to take him back to his house. Billy Graham, aging, had decided that he he had never driven a limo, so he went to the guy who was driving the limo, the chauffeur, and said, hey, I've never driven a limo before. Would it be okay if maybe you just let me take it for a spin? And the guy said, yeah, sure, that's fine. So Billy Graham gets into the, to the limo and they start taking off. And uh, there's a, a rookie cop working, working his first speed trap ever, kind of hidden behind a tree in his, in his patrol car. And Billy Graham drives by going 70 in a 55. So the, the young man, the, the young officer, pulls out behind him and catches up to him. And of course, gets out of his car, walks up to the, to the driver's door and kind of taps on the glass, and Billy Graham's fumbling around trying to figure out how to put the, the window down, but finally he figures it out. and The rookie police officer looks at the man and says, hold on a minute, walks back to his squad car, calls his supervisor, and says, boss, I, I don't know what to do here. I, I know we got to enforce the law, but but I also know that sometimes when there's important people, we try to give some courtesy to them and extend that grace to them. I don't really know what to do. Well, who is it? Is it the governor, said the supervisor? And he said, no, it's not the governor. It's someone more important than that. Well, is it the president then? No, it's not the president. It's someone more important than that. Well, who is it? The officer says, I'm not exactly sure, but I think it's Jesus, because Billy Graham is the chauffeur. <laughs> oh man. You know, there are certain people who are known to be so close to Jesus that to be around that person kind of feels like you're around Jesus because they just smell like Jesus. Just being in that person's presence is kind of like I am experiencing Jesus in a way that I may not otherwise experience him here. In the text today, Paul uses a vivid image to clarify his identity as a slave of Jesus, but also his task to spread the aroma of Jesus wherever he goes. Would you stand as we read together in 2 Corinthians chapter two? We'll begin here in verse 12 and read through verse 17. The Apostle Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, in these moments, we are looking to you. Even as we have sung your praises, even as we have humbled ourselves before you, we're asking now that your spirit would just fill this place, fill this room, and fill our own hearts so that we might have understanding and be transformed. God, would you do the work that only you can do in us? And would you help us to live and to follow Christ? In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, as we've learned, Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth was on edge. After a painful visit, he returned back to Ephesus and wrote a letter, one that we've called, has been known to be known, or called the severe letter. And he sent that on with Titus to Corinth and was hoping that God would use that letter in a way that would bring about Uh, redemption there would bring about reconciliation in the broken relationship that was between Paul and the church there in Corinth. Now, we don't know the specifics, but it's very likely that Paul and Timothy had worked out a rendezvous point. So Paul sends Timothy with a letter. Before he goes, he says, excuse me, Titus, says the says letter with Titus, and he says, we, we've got a rendezvous somewhere, and we've got to meet, and where was that going to be? Well, apparently it was Troas. That's what we learn here in verses 12 and 13. Troas was on the coast, uh, was across the Aegean Sea from Corinth on the northwest coast of what is, was, was Asia then, but is what we would call modern-day Turkey now. Why Troas? Well, according to the text, it seems as though Paul sensed that God had opened a door for ministry in Troas, for gospel ministry there. So Paul was gonna go there, and we don't know how long Paul was there, but we don't expect it was very long So this also explains one of the reasons why Paul, remember his changing travel plans, didn't loop back to Corinth at the time, because he felt like God had opened a door there in Troas, so he was headed to Troas to do ministry there. Now, we don't know how long he was there, but we do know that his ministry there was cut short. It was cut short. Now, the first thing I want us to see from the text this morning is this we need to realize the significance of relational discord. Why was Paul's ministry in Troas cut short? God had opened a door there. Paul saying it himself. Why was it cut short there? And we're told that his spirit was not at rest. Apparently, Titus did not arrive in Troas at the agreed-upon time. And this caused a lot of concern and anxiety for Paul. Now, rest assured, it wasn't because of Titus that Paul was anxious. It was because of the broken relationship with the church in Corinth. Titus was supposed to bring news about what was happening there in Corinth. How would the church respond to his letter? He was anxious about the spiritual health of the church there. He was afraid that Satan would undo the work that had been done there. Listen, the heart behind Paul's anxiety was his love for the believers there in Corinth. And his spirit was restless because of the relational discord. So, what does he do? He exits the door that God had opened and he goes on to Macedonia. Why Macedonia? Well, again, it's speculation, but perhaps Paul and Titus had agreed that if you're not at Troas by a certain time, the next place we'll meet is in Macedonia. See, uh, this likely had something to do with the weather. This likely had something to do with the onset of winter when uh, sailing across the sea was no longer possible because it was too dangerous. So. So if Titus wasn't able to get to Troas by a certain time, then they would rendezvous at a different location, maybe in Macedonia, where Titus then could just um, travel by land north from uh, Corinth all the way up to Macedonia. Paul then would have had to take a, a ship back over across the sea and then meet him in Macedonia. Now, Scripture doesn't give us a commentary on Paul's decision to leave Troas, but what is clear is that relational discord can jeopardize ministry. Relational discord can jeopardize ministry. Commentator David Garland says, The church is interconnected, so much so that we can't hurt one another without potentially hurting the work of God in the world. Now, friends, what this should do is reinforce to us how important it is to pursue unity and reconciliation in all of our relationships. Where there is relational discord in churches, Churches will not be as strong as they could be otherwise. They will be distracted from their mission of proclaiming Christ and making disciples because there is so much difficulty amongst the relationships in the church. And oftentimes, friends, where there is relational discord, there's going to be gossip and jealousy and envy and backbiting and all sorts of things that are going to uh, keep us from living in ways that please God and living in ways ways that show our love for one another, because Jesus says, when you love one another, then the world's going to know that you're my disciples. Relational discord, friends, can short-circuit the ministry of a church, and that's what Paul is so concerned about there in Corinth. He had an open door in Troas, but the relational discord, right, The, the brokenness there caused him to be Uh, uneasy, not at rest, so he left Troas and he went on to Macedonia. Friends, that's why it's so important for us to be humble and to be willing to do the hard work of dealing with hurting relationships. Now the truth is, sometimes relational discord happens because of misunderstandings. It's a conversation, you work through it, it's just a misunderstanding. But sometimes relational discord results from sinful actions and, and hurtful words. Whatever the reason, friends, restoration of these broken relationships comes through intentional communication, pursuing righteousness, oftentimes repentance, and then being willing to forgive. And while none of that is easy, all of that is essential. And if we aren't willing to engage in that, then we will shoot ourselves in the foot when it comes to fruitful ministry and edifying relationships for the glory of Christ. So, has someone wronged you? Well, Jesus would say go to that person. Go to that person and work it out and be willing to forgive. Don't let bitterness take root in your heart because Satan will use that to get a foothold in your life. Have you wronged someone? Well, then Jesus would say, humble yourself and go seek their forgiveness. Go confess your sin and, and seek their forgiveness. And by the way, notice in this text that Paul isn't trying to hide his weakness, is he? He's not trying to, to kind of come up with an alternate reason why he left Trez. He just says, look, I, I was broken. I, I, was at, I was not at rest in the moment. And, and I left this area. Friends, if that was us, we might go about it a little bit differently, right? If that was me, I might say, well, I was in Troas. And yeah, there was an open door there for ministry. But I had this feeling that there was going to be an open door for ministry in Macedonia. So that's why I went. No, no, Paul just kind of says it like it is. He doesn't hide the fact that he was weak. He doesn't hide the fact that he was broken in the moment. Why? Because as we've been talking about this year, God's power is perfected in our weakness. As we rely on him, as we trust him. Paul wasn't afraid to show this weakness. But friends, he was concerned about the relational brokenness relational discord that was jeopardizing the relationship with the church and ultimately jeopardizing the ministry of the church as well. So he wanted to work through it and he was waiting for Titus to return. But secondly this morning, I want us to see that we are to embrace our, our identity as slaves of Jesus. Embrace your identity as a slave of Jesus. So, the thanksgiving that we read there in verse 14, but thanks be to God, it catches us a little off guard, doesn't it? Based on what Paul just wrote in verses 12 and 13, it it doesn't seem to follow. Well, some scholars believe that Paul maybe began writing this, this letter and then traveled up to Macedonia And then he just kind of waited. He was still suffering and hurting because he hadn't heard from Titus. But then Titus comes back. I want us just to flip over to chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, okay? I want to kind of make sense, if we can, of what is taking place and why this big transition into this thankfulness. So Paul is in Troas. He heads back over to Macedonia, verse 5 chapter 7 verse 5, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. This tells us about the heart of Paul and those associates that he was with. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he has comforted with which he was comforted by you as he told us of your longing, your mourning, and your zeal for me so that I rejoiced all the more. So Paul is, is struggling. He leaves Troas. He goes to Macedonia. He's still struggling. He's wondering what's going on in this church. What's happening? But then Titus shows up and Titus brings the news that God has at work in Corinth, that they received this difficult letter well and they have repented and they're moving in the right direction now. It's a complete change. God is at work. The gospel triumphed in Corinth and the church has now reaffirmed their loyalty to Paul and they've acted on Paul's instruction in the severe letter concerning the individual who had accosted Paul. Paul. The relationship is now better. This then leads to verse 14 where Paul continues by giving thanks to God for the victory in Christ, right? Now, The verb translated leads in triumphal procession" refers to a well-documented practice of a victorious Roman general who would come home from his conquest and he would lead a parade. He would lead a, a procession of people through the empire, through the capital of the empire to the temple of Jupiter, a false god. And in that, in that procession would be all sorts of people, but primarily what we're talking about here is the defeated enemies, right? So he would bring as spoils of war these defeated enemies who ultimately would be sacrificed to the god Jupiter there at Jupiter's temple. Now there were incense bearers, there were freed Roman citizens who had been enslaved in other lands. Uh, There were the generals, armies himself. But primarily what we're talking about here, what this word points to is the defeated enemies who were marching in procession. In fact, New Testament scholar Mark Seyfried writes, the verb is not used to describe the victorious soldiers, but the defeated prisoners who had been brought to Rome to be paraded as the spoils of war. Well, what does this mean? Well, I think what we need to see here is that Paul is not claiming to be one of God's soldiers who marches in victory. But what he is saying is that he is one of the defeated slaves conquered by the gospel, by the grace of God, in Jesus' victory, in his procession. Consider this. Before God saved us, we were his enemies. Consider that to follow Christ is to follow him in death. is to die to ourselves. Consider that in Romans in chapter one, Paul refers to himself as a slave of Christ. This is true in With Peter, this is true with James, this is true with Jude as well. Consider how Paul talks about his ministry as an apostle of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 13. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. He's talking here, he's addressing the super apostles that were present in Corinth. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rue with you. For I think that God has exhibited us as apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When we when reviled, we bless, when persecuted, we endure, when slandered we entreat, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So Paul is really telling us about what it is for him to follow Christ and to serve as an apostle, right? He he's doing everything he can, but he understands that there is this sentence on him as he serves. Listen to Second Corinthians chapter four, verses seven through twelve. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal bodies. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Friends, by Paul's own admission, he is not the powerful, rhetorically eloquent preacher that the Corinthians valued. Instead, he's saying, I'm a slave. I'm a slave, a slave that God is leading through the world and through whom God is making known the knowledge of God in Christ wherever I'm going. That's what Paul is telling us about himself and about his ministry. He understands that his role is to make Jesus known. To make the glory of God known. So Paul is a slave of Jesus and his primary role as a slave of Jesus is to spread the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere to all peoples, right? As God is leading Paul, he is an aroma of God to others. And he sees himself to be a living sacrifice, right? Romans chapter 12. Faithfully following Jesus. And as he faithfully proclaims Christ and makes disciples, then his life is a pleasing aroma to God. That's what Paul is telling us. Church, if you are following Christ, right, then you too are a slave of Christ. You too are a servant of Christ. Is that how you see yourself? Is that how you see yourself? Is that, I love that music in the background. It's like, I should give like a long soliloquy here. (laughs) Is that how you live your life as a slave of Christ? As a living sacrifice for the one who has saved you and made you spiritually alive when you were condemned in your sin? Friends, we need to ask ourselves, are we more concerned about our wills Or about God's will and God's glory. By the way that you live your life, by the things that you do, by the things that you say, do people know that you belong to Jesus? Do people see Jesus in you? Can they smell Jesus because of the way that you follow and the way that you love Jesus? I'm afraid that too many professing Christians, for them, following Jesus is more an add-on than it is an identity In their lives. So, church, let's embrace our identity as slaves of Jesus. Let's serve and let's love because He's worth it. Even in our weakness, even in our brokenness, let's live for Him. Finally, this morning, believe the gospel and be saved. Believe the gospel. And be saved. So Paul says that he and his associates are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance of death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. As this victorious Roman general would parade the defeated enemies and and the throngs of people to the temple of Jupiter. The incense bearers, along with those who served at the temple, would be burning their incense to the pagan God. And Paul is picking up on this imagery here, on this symbolism. And he likes the proclamation of the gospel to a fragrance, to a fragrance to the one true God that fills the air. And wherever Paul goes, he's proclaiming Christ. And some people believe the gospel and they are saved. To them, the fragrance is from life to life. But some people reject the gospel, and for them, the fragrance is from death to death. Now, we can understand the idea of fragrance. Zach talked about it earlier smells. Like, from a physical perspective, smells are interpreted differently, aren't they? Like, some people love potpourri. Some people love spiced candles, and they love to burn them in their homes and, and everywhere. And then for some others like me, that we just know that's a headache-inducing thing, right? It, it, it's, it's terrible. Some people love it. In fact, my whole family loves it, and I don't because it gives me a headache. So we respond, we interpret smells differently. And let's just be honest. Amarillo has some unique smells, don't we? I mean, we do. My parents come for a visit and I promise you every time they come we can smell feedlots in the south and the west and they always have a comment to say. Right? Feedlots are kind of the smell of death, aren't they? Or soon coming death. Now in Amarillo they say it's the smell of money, I know. But for many it's great and for many it's terrible. Spiritually speaking, the aroma of life is for those who God has opened their hearts, their eyes, their ears, and their minds to embrace, to understand, to see, to hear the beauty of the gospel. Yes, to smell out the truth of the gospel. But for those who reject the gospel, that smell is repugnant. It's like a dirty diaper. Why would I want that? Why would I put my life in the hands of a crucified Messiah? Why would I give my own livelihood and why would I give my own autonomy over to someone else? Living sacrifice, never. And for them, the aroma is from death to death. Where are you today? Where are you today? Because the message of the gospel will bring a divide. The message of the gospel will bring a divide. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of of God. The gospel, your response to the gospel determines the course of your life now and forever. Recognizing this, in verse 17, Paul says, Who is sufficient for these things? Now, I believe Paul here is taking a jab at the false apostles who have infiltrated the church there at Corinth, those who are peddlers of the word of God. Now, that Greek term pedal really refers to a business term, it's a neutral term in and of itself, it just turns someone who is engaged in retail business. But at the time, and even we understand it now, there are, there are negative associations with that term. And what Paul is saying is, there are people who have come into your church, and they are peddling the word of God. They are proclaiming a cheapened gospel that doesn't lead to life, and they're doing it for worldly gain. So what kind of gospel would that be? Well, It'd be a gospel that cheapens righteousness by suggesting that we could add anything to our being made right with God. It's a gospel that cheapens grace by denying the importance or the, the need for repentance in our life. It's a gospel that cheapens Jesus by failing to proclaim him as the Lord who is worthy of every thing. And while Paul would not claim that he is sufficient in and of himself, more on this next week, he clearly states that he is commissioned by God and that's with integrity and sincerity that he is carrying out his ministry in the sight of God. What a weighty responsibility. What a weighty responsibility to be the aroma of Christ. But it's your responsibility if you're a follower of Christ. So, the challenge for those who are in Christ is to be that aroma, to proclaim Christ with sincerity, to make a difference, to tell people about God's amazing grace, to tell people that there is hope for them, even though they in their sin are are separated from God, but there is hope for them because God loves us and sent his son to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death and then rose from the dead in order that through him you might have forgiveness and reconciliation with God. That's your responsibility. That's your privilege because you've experienced it yourself. So the challenge for believers to be the aroma of Christ by proclaiming Christ then the invitation for those who are not in Christ is to believe the gospel. To believe the gospel and be saved. Forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life only comes through faith in Jesus. Through faith in the Son of God who lived, died and rose again for you. Apart from him, there's only death, eternal death. But in him, the free gift of God is eternal life forever. So today, will you confess your sin? Will you put your hope in Jesus? And will you be saved? In just a moment, we're gonna transition to a time of reflection and surrender. And I want you to know that if you have questions about the gospel, we'll be here to connect with you We'll be here to explain how you can know eternal life. There may be some in this room who are interested in membership in this church and we'd love to share with you how you can partner with this church family and become a member of this church. There may be some here who just need prayer. They want someone to pray with. Our staff is here. We would love to pray with you. There are people in your, in your pew even who would love to pray with you. You could just say, hey, will you pray for me? You don't have to, you don't have to even tell them what's going on necessarily. You could. You could. But there are people who want to pray with you. If you have other questions, you can catch us after the service, you can call uh, the church anytime and we would love to meet with you. If you're watching on the live stream, would you reach out to us and just let us know that you have a question or you, or you just need more information or, or maybe even that you're ready to put your hope and your trust in Christ and we would love to connect with you in that way. So God is at work. I believe that and we believe that. Let's Let's pray and let's respond to him how he's leading you specifically. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your kind grace, for your love and for your mercy, which is overflowing to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we get the privilege to follow him, not because of our own merit or goodness, but because of what you have done in our lives your grace may we be people who are serving and loving and living like jesus and may those who we come in contact with hear the gospel because we have embraced that role that responsibility and that privilege in jesus name amen church would you stand and sing